everybody. Hi. Mike. I'm Chris. And this is the Chore of Duty. Normally we're geeking out. This is our more political show. So this is political sort of kind of, but we're just going to spend a few minutes today giving a little instruction because... I'm learning today. He's, he's learning today. Words mean things. I don't know if you remember Dr. Laura Schlesinger, but she always said that words mean things, and they well, do. Well, a name like that. Sorry. They do. She was a radio psychiatrist, by the way. So she's, she kind of crashed and burned. But she made some good points. The, uh, the problem is anybody who's ever read the Bible can tell you that words change over time. If you don't, if you want to know what I'm talking about, get a copy of a, a Gideon Bible. Okay, they're everywhere. They're about like that. They're about three by five. They're King James Version because those are, those have no copyright to them. So it's written in not necessarily ye oldie Englishy, but it's, it's old English, older than what we're used to. So you get a lot of these and thys and thines and thous and all the other stuff. And, and it's written in a particular way that you don't always understand. So that's why today, this is not a joke, there are hundreds of versions of the Holy Bible. And the idea is that they're all supposed to be held accountable by the glory of God. So in order to be a Holy Bible, you have to represent the Word of God. As I said, words can change. Words and meanings can change over time, especially of phrases. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a quick little test. I'm going to give Chris some a few phrases, and I want to hear the first thing that comes into mind when I say this. Tell me what you think <laughs> of the first thing you think of when I give you these phrases. Okay. Listen, for, let me tell you. One, I'm bad at tests. Second is, of all, I used to read Shakespeare and understood what he was saying. But Which now that I'm old, I don't even know. What, I don't remember nothing that I've learned. <laughs> so you have I'm to look. Like, oh, it's, look. it's a different type of language. And as I said, when oh. languages evolve, they can evolve for good or they can evolve for ill. And there are a lot of people invested in evolving, quote, evolving the language for ill, for bad purposes. So let me give you a few of these. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Chris, can what do you think of when I say God created the earth? I thought he was giving me a word. No, I'm giving you a phrase. The operative word here is earth, as in God created the earth. Passion. Okay. What about God so loved the world? The operative word is world. Well, it's still passion to me. I mean, if you love anything and you create something, you're, you do it with passion. Just like if a cook is really into what they, they're making, they put their love, sweat, and soul into what it is that they're creating so other people can also enjoy it because they believe in it enough. So passion. So you're saying they're, they're both basically the same thing. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> wait a minute. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put another phrase out here. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. I'm gonna put another phrase out here. All right. Don't don't sweat it. It's all right. There's no wrong answers. I honestly want to hear what you're saying. Separation of church and state. What does that mean to you? Separation of church and state. 
Now, it may mean something different to you. If it, if you don't, if you don't have an answer, just say no answer. If you're, I kind of want to say freedom. Freedom. Okay. Well, that's all right. Separation of church and state means freedom to you. Okay. I mean, well, that's all right. Well, here's another phrase: well-regulated militia. This is from the Second Amendment of the Constitution. A well-regulated militia. I gotta say the first word that pops into my head here. Mm -hmm. Ego. <laughs> what was that? Ego. Ego. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Here's another one. Unite the United States. There's no wrong yeah. answers. There's no gotchas. There's some. There's no gotchas here. I honestly want to hear. What do you, what do you think when you hear the phrase "the United States"? Sleepy. He's tired. All right. All right. So, what is what is the United States? Do you think? I mean, why I said sleepy. Not necessarily why you said sleepy, because you're being. We've just recorded an hour long video. He's no, no, I'm not. Right no, now, I mean sleepy as in like it's. I mean, United States. No offense, guys. I live in the United States. I love the United States. Are we broken? Yes. Do we need help in certain situations? Yes. But there's a lot. There's a. There's a, so many people in the United States that are so full of themselves that they put the United States way up here above everybody else because they think that they're the only ones that has freedom and has, you know, this, this, and this, which is okay. You know, that's, that's okay for people to think that. It's just, I, instead, like, okay, you always look at politics, okay? This way I am, you know. I look at entertainment because I love movies and stuff, but yeah. I also believe that there's so many people that is like they they got their heads up their butts in this state that they don't take moment to like enjoy the moonlight. Enjoy what what this land actually has, like, you know, go by the creek and just sit there for a while. You know, the beauty of it. And there's so much beauty, but it's one of those things like where people sit there and say, you know, you don't look up enough. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always got your head down. Okay. It's like, you know, sleep. All right. So on that, that note, what about we the people? What does that mean to you? Together. Together. Okay. Now, one more. We just talked about the United States. What about the States United? States United. The States United. I would I mean, if it was true, I would definitely give it like I mean, glory is coming to my mind. Glory. 
thinking like old old glory, like, old fashioned. No, like hope, faith. Mm. Like I mean, if we were all together and on the same page, and not talking about like everybody has to agree with everybody, but like to the point of like if everybody if everybody would just stop hating, just stop hating mm-hmm. each other, and we were actually united, then it would be more peaceful. And again, we don't have to agree on everything, but just like not go like. Not crap on people's religion or their if they're Republican or Democrat or if they're you know color of their skin or whatever like you know just if everybody would just stop hating and we were actually united. I think the world would actually be a better place. Well, our world would be a better place. Okay, in a way. All right. I was really thinking more along terms of one word answer. That's all right. Oh, well, I thought you meant the meaning. I was I was giving the meanings well, of good. what my words. That's were. good. I want you to communicate. That's the, that's the purpose of this episode is to explain the importance of communication and how words matter. I mean, you're you're trying to explain what you're feeling here, and you're having to use your communication skills in order to express it. And that's fine. The point I'm making here is what we consider. I mean, we hear these phrases, they almost almost become passe. I mean, we hear we the people, we think nothing of it. We don't really put a lot of thought into it. We hear we the people, and we think, well, us. You know. The United States, this country, you know, things like that. For a lot of people, the United States, for example, is this country. Everybody in this country is in the United States. And so when you hear a phrase like the states united... Is the states united the same as the United States? No, no. The states united is where you had individual states, individual groups who come together for a common cause. Okay? At the time the Constitution was written, the United States of America and the states united meant the same thing. Yeah. The States United is where, the, at the time, the 13 states came together under a common cause, under a common federal system that the states still exercised control over. The states were united to form this super government, basically. The United States, on the other hand, which, which is mentioned in the Constitution, and it's mentioned in the Declaration of Independence for that matter, the United States of America has taken on the, the role of not a super government of states, but as a separate state itself. It is a sol- solid state. People see the United States as being different from, say, the, the Commonwealth of Kentucky or the state of Ohio or the Republic of Texas or whatever. The 50 states are inferior to the United States, and it's not supposed to be that way. When, the, when they were talking about the states united, it was 50 peers coming together and cooperating for the common good. It, the idea was not to create a separate system that was superior to everybody else. Okay? 
So that's one of the things that we've lost over the years because we have been essentially indoctrinated with decades upon decades, especially since the Civil War, that the United States is its own separate thing and that the states are inferior members of it. The states were actually considered actually considered peers to one another, and the United States was essentially supposed to be the servant of the states for common purposes. Can I say something? Yes. Yeah. All right, so like when I use the word ego, I've yes. always hear like people like when they talk about the United States, it's like we're better than everybody else. That's the way they put it, you know? Right. And it's like their ego is up high. During the, what was it, Memorial Day? Yeah. Memorial Day. Now, I live right outside of a courthouse, right? And they do this, this ceremony thing. But when everybody was gone, I have I don't salute that much because I'm I'm not a any you know in military or nothing like that, but I I will tell you this and this is what I did I saw this dude walk up on the court there was nobody around he walked up to this uh, tomb statue there or tomb like it has names of soldiers and stuff whatever it's called the thing mm-hmm. up there yeah and he kneeled down and he prayed. I saluted him because I knew that this guy had to been a soldier at one point. Mm-hmm. Just the way he acted. He didn't see me salute because I was in my window and I just saw him and I was like, oh man. You know, and I saluted him. Don't know this guy. But that right there, to me, is more hope, faith, uh, what United States is than... Somebody's sitting there bragging about how better the United States is than all the other countries, you know. Well, there's there's two things to this, okay? The story you told, it's the, one of the greatest one of the greatest ways to judge a character, a person's character, is what they do in the dark. It's what you do when people you don't think people are looking. When the gentleman sits down, kneels at the memorial and prays, now that all the crowds are gone. He's not doing it for the benefit of the crowds. He's doing it to, to pray himself. to God. Yeah, to, to God to intercede on behalf of the people who gave their lives, who were memorialized there. And you saluted because nobody saw you salute. He didn't see you salute, but you showed, did it show respect for the show of respect he gave. And that shows a lot of character right there. Second, we were talking when you were defining the United States, you mentioned we and we put ourselves above everyone else. It's America, right or it's America, right or wrong. Uh, it's, it's, if you yeah. like it or love it or leave it is essentially what yeah, you're it's saying. It's like somebody's like bragging about their good car and how it's better than somebody else's. It's it's that kind of thing, and I hear that a lot from people. And it's just like you know, like yeah, yeah sure, we're a great country, but at the same time, we're also not that great. And I'm not trying to poop on the United States or anybody who fought for the United States. It's just, we also have so many problems here that, you know, oh my No, that's all right, because the other thing you said was when, when I said the phrase states united, you gave three words, glory, hope, and faith. This is what was supposed to undergird the federal system for the, for the states united in a common cause, faith in God, 
hope in the future and uh, glory for God. And this is, God had this relationship with the American settlers. A lot of the people who took the initiative and helped form the the towns out of the wilderness, and then the, uh, the farms out of the wilderness, the towns out of the farms, the states out of the towns, the country out of the states, all of these people had something in common. They had God in common. They had belief in God. They had faith in the glory of God to, to carry things forward. This is what the United States was supposed to represent, not jingoism, not a, just a throwaway catchphrase, not just a bully pulpit where we go around and, and order other people around, not the world's only superpower. That was not what the States United was ever about. It was about a common defense and a common courtesy to one another. Yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, like to me when it comes to God, it's like God does not discriminate like we do here. Like it's, it's like, did I ever tell you the story of me getting kicked out of Sunday school? I think so, but tell it again. I got kicked out of Sunday school because they were talking about Moses and how he freed the people of Egypt and stuff like that. And one of the things that really struck me and bothered me was killing all the firstborn. That was one of the, you know, the things and the red marks. You know, they said, well, if you got faith, you know, they put the mark on the doors and stuff like that and they'll be safe and all that. But to me, in my mind, it was like, why would God do that? Like, why would he kill to prove this butthead a point, you know, like I, that, to me, that's not God. It's, that's yeah. a, and okay. Well, that that that's getting kind of into the theological weeds. I, I can I can address it real quick, but the reason God did it was because God has done one tragic correction after another to the people of Egypt because the people of Egypt have mistreated the people of Israel for centuries at this point. And they have committed so many atrocities. They have done so many things wrong. And Pharaoh was the one who was allowing all this to happen if he wasn't actually codifying it, that you could treat Israel's like, Israelis like this. Remember, we go through a series of plagues yeah. in Genesis. And yes, it culminates in the death of the firstborns of the Egyptians and the people who don't mark their their thresholds with lamb's blood. The reason why is because God hardened Pharaoh's heart between each round. Okay, again, we're talking about words meaning things. People think that people read that and they think that God caused, God deliberately forced Pharaoh to not release the people of Israel so they could have the next plague. It's not what happens. Words mean things. Use two ways to read God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The first is the way most people assume it. Okay, God touched Pharaoh somewhere in the head so that he would be stubborn and refuse. Okay, so it was God's fault that Pharaoh said no and got more plagues. The other way to read it again, words mean things. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was Pharaoh who hardened his heart upon exposure to God. There are some people, when they see a miracle, they actually grit their teeth and double down on their refusal to admit God's existence. 
just because that's how they are. They're so tied up in their own ego. They're so tied up in themselves, in their own opinions, that there's that when they're exposed to somebody who is greater than they will ever hope to be, they immediately reject it. You see it in the society all around you, people cutting off their dinkies and their boobs and stuff, trying to make themselves into something they're not just so they can spit in God's face. That, that, is, heart, that is God hardening somebody's heart. So Pharaoh doubled down on each each one of these things. So it wasn't God who made Pharaoh reject him. Pharaoh rejected God because he saw evidence he existed in each of these, uh, each of these plagues. So when we get to the plague of the firstborn, where they all die, that's Pharaoh's fault. That had not. God did not want to do that. Look at the story of Jonah when he goes to Nineveh. That was going to be Sodom and Gomorrah too, okay, over in Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go because he knew God well enough that if he went over there, he would be able to touch people's hearts and soften them to hear, hear God's word, and maybe they would repent. And he didn't want them to because he hated the people in Nineveh. Because people in Nineveh had always been jerks to him and to the other Israelis. But God got in there and God softened their hearts because they had been so wicked for so long, they realized, just like we're going through now, it's so, the evil is so blatant and so obvious. People were desperate for another way. Here comes Jonah. He preaches God. And they're like, hey, there's another way. This makes a lot more sense. And God, then when they were exposed to God, their hearts softened. Okay. So don't think, don't, don't read that, that story as God deliberately pushing Pharaoh. Pharaoh was deliberately pushing against God. So don't go blaming the victim. That's a lot of what these changes of terminology is about, by the way, is trying to find ways to blame the victim so that somebody else can accumulate more power. Speaking of God, let's go back over to a couple other phrases. God created the earth and God so loved the world. What's the difference between the earth and the world? You said they were basically the same. Right. Well, I mean, again, I use like you know the Baker thing. It's mm -hmm. like, like, okay, you have something that you're very passionate about, right? Mm -hmm. And you create something, but you also want to share that, right? So the way I see it is like you know, you create something. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, an artist. Okay, an artist can create a painting and then sit there and stare at it and be like. You know what? I could, a little bit more blue, and a little bit more of this, and then add that, and be like, and we'll keep adding stuff until it's perfect. So the passion that they put into that, and the passion that of creating Earth and and you know everything, just it's it's the passion. Mm -hmm. It's like he crafted it just perfect to where he like. Right. Yes, but I will still add more stuff along the way. Right. Yeah. Which is which is kind of what I'm getting into. In John three sixteen, he doesn't. John three sixteen doesn't read, "For God so loved the earth that he gave his only begotten Son." God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The earth is the dirt, the plants, the water, the animals. 
the earth is what God created initially. And then he realized that was good. And then he creates man. When he, when he creates man with free will in his own image and puts him on this earth, that's when it becomes a world. A world is an earth with intelligent life. This is where people who have independent free will can either accept God or reject him. So that's the difference between the earth and the world. Whenever you hear a biblical phrase about the world, it's not talking about the earth, the big mud ball we live on, whatever you want to call it, is talking about humanity. Humanity is the world. Okay, That's what the Bible actually means by the world. They're talking about humanity. Okay, Earth refers to the animals and the little creepy crawlies and the floods and the and the all the other physical things that happen on the earth. When it comes to us, our souls, our spirits, and our relationships with one another, and especially with God, that's the world. Uh, I wanted to get into one more thing religion-related, the separation of church and state. Do you know where that phrase came from, Chris? No. Okay. There's a lot of people who think separation of church and state is, in, is somewhere in the Constitution. It's not. It was actually in a letter from Thomas Jefferson referring after the Constitution had been ratified. It was, a, it was a letter from Thomas Jefferson around 1800 basically saying that the state, okay, when he says the state, he means state, not just Virginia where he lived, not just Kentucky where we live, not even just the United States, but any no government has the right to establish a religion, is what he meant by separation of church and state. Today, of course, we consider that there's a bunch of people who think that separation of church and state means there's no room for God anywhere in any kind of government-related function, which means no God in the schools, no God in, in public squares, no God in, no God in courtrooms, no God in congress or legislative seats or governor seats or mayor's seats or city halls there is supposed to be a dead rejection of all things god related when it comes to government and that's not what it means thomas jefferson said explicitly the separation of church and state means the state must not establish a, uh, an official religion which is what england did that's why it's called the anglican church is called the church of england Mainly so, one of the kings could divorce a bunch of people and marry a bunch of other people while the Pope wouldn't let him. That's what the separation of church and state means. And that's, that's something that gets lost. And when you learn about these things, now you can go back and start reading a lot of these articles and, and discussions and stuff, and you begin to realize who's in the right and who's more in the wrong. Who understands the actual topic here and who doesn't. Who's, who's playing a game, essentially. Um, and I said freedom to that. You said freedom to that, yeah. Uh, but here's another one. This this will be the last one. Um, a well-regulated militia. You wrote down ego. You responded ego to well-regulated militia. Okay. A well-regulated militia. Okay. A, there is a lot of ego tied up in this because there are a lot of people who define themselves by their guns, okay, by their weapons, by their rifles, by marksmanship, 
See, that's what I was going with. That's what like, I figured. That's why like North, like North Korea, always like we have a we have a nuke. We're going to send it to, towards you, you know. And that's like, well, it's just like Joe like, Biden like, saying, if you're you know, going to, it's just like Joe Biden saying, if you're going to resist the United States government, you're going to need an F fourteen Mac, and it's not true. Because heaven knows Joe Biden couldn't come up with an F fourteen right now. He can barely come up with a cluster bomb. But <laughs> a well-regulated militia. This is something that a lot of people don't understand. People think that well-regulated militia. Let me read you the entirety of the Second Amendment to the Constitution. Okay, a well-regulated militia, be comma being necessary to the security of a free state, comma. The right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed, period. Okay. Commas mean things, too. Okay. Those commas are used to separate phrases in the Second Amendment. Each phrase represents an idea. Okay. Uh, shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed. Okay. Go back to, uh, we'll see what that modifies here in a minute. The right of the people to keep and bear arms. Okay, arms being capitalized. Arms means firepower. Okay, it can mean pistols, it can mean rifles, it can mean cannons, it can mean hand grenades, it can mean bombs. Well regulated is where this comes into. Okay, people think you're well regulated, they're thinking like army. They think this is where the National Guard comes from, is the well regulated militia. This is where phrases and words change meanings over time. Well-regulated militia, and a lot of people don't know this. I didn't know it for a long time. Well-regulated, the, the, the root word of regulated is regular. Okay. People, in other words, a well-regulated militia, militia refers to armed people. It doesn't refer to an army. It doesn't refer to a navy. It doesn't refer to Air Force, Space Force, Marine, Marine Corps. National Guard, reservists, doesn't mean any of that. It means people who are armed. That is a militia. Okay. The Minuteman militia was a bunch of ordinary people who had a weapon that they could fire who would be ready at a minute's notice. That came from the, the Revolutionary War. Well-regulated. Well-regulated means they are effective. Okay. Not that there's a bunch of laws controlling their behavior. That's what it means now. People hear regulation, they think law. Well-regulated. Regulated means control. Well-regulated means under control. But we're talking about militia. These are individuals who are armed. These individuals who are armed are in control of their faculties. They are in control. They, they have a lot of skills. They're very skilled at using their weapon. They have a lot of good judgment. They have a lot of experience at it. So the well-regulated militia is people, individuals, who have arms, who know how to use them, and when, more importantly, when not to use them. So that's the regulation of the militia. The militia regulates itself. They, they are effective, they are efficient, and they, they know how to take care of themselves, basically. Now, we got being necessary to the security of a free state. State is capitalized here. Be a well-regulated militia. Okay, we know that's people who are armed, individuals who are armed, citizens, essentially, 
who are armed and know how to use it and when to use it and when not to use it. Being necessary to the security of a free state, if we are going to live in freedom, then we're going to have to have the freedom to go up to somebody who wants to take our freedoms away and shoot them in the face and know when to do it. That's the well-regulated militia. That's why it's so important to have a well-regulated militia because those people who are effective and trained and have good judgment will know when the time comes, when push comes to shove, they're going to have to start shooting people in the face. That's why they're necessary for the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms, the right of the people, the citizens, the people who live in that on that farm, in that town, in that state, in that country, those are the people we're talking about here, the right of the people to keep, you can own firearms, you can own ammunition. Okay, they're, they're both tied into arms. And bear arms, you have the right to use those arms. Okay? This is something your good federal government doesn't like to say. You have the right if if a federal agent is doing something illegal, something that is blatantly illegal under the Constitution, and you have good judgment, and you have well-developed skills, you have the right to defend yourself against that guy, or defend other people, or defend your state against that guy. Because he is proving himself to be another, <laughs> another phrase that has taken on new meaning here lately. Enemies, foreign, and domestic. Okay, this is another another constitutional phrase. Enemies, foreign and domestic, used to be known as they would imagine Russia, Germany, the Kaiser, Hitler, Hirohito, North Korea, Iran, the Ayatollahs, blah blah blah. Foreign enemies, domestic enemies would be spies, would be saboteurs, people working for foreign powers. Domestic enemies are people who don't believe in human freedom or in liberty. And there are a bunch of them running around right now, and they're in charge of things right now. And you're seeing how that works. Okay, It doesn't necessarily mean that you're entitled to shoot them in the face, no matter what I just said. Because again, well-regulated militia means you have to have good judgment, not just good shooting skills. So... That's why I'm saying I want you to get, I want you and, and you and, and everybody to, to stop and actually listen to words and think about their meanings. Is it possible that what you're hearing are people twisting words and twisting meanings to mean something totally different than what was intended? Okay, this is the importance of context. This is the importance of knowing, having a basic knowledge of Human, uh, human psyches, human abilities, and human relations. So, so that's why if you read it all together, people talk about well-regulated militia. You read it all together, it takes on an entirely different meaning. Yes, Christopher, what were you going to say before we wrap this? How did that do? I think you actually did pretty well. The uh, <laughs> He doesn't test well. That's all right. This, this is not the kind of test you can fail. If you're willing to think, I never give out tests to pass and fail. I give out tests to force you to think. Because if I'm giving you a test, you knew you were in trouble as soon as I said that I was going to be reading you lists and phrases and words and see what you thought the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. But 
the idea is to get you to think again. And remember, that's the motto of the tour of duty is think again. Not just think again, but think for yourself. Think for your family. Think for your friends again, like we used to. So, Chris, final thoughts on words meaning things, or are you ready to head out? I'd say his butt's a little sore by now. Uh, We're in the middle of a two-hour recording session now. I thought today. He thought today. Yeah, I can see the steam coming out of your ears. It's just like... (laughs) It's been a while since these gears grind. And it's been a while since we've done an episode of The Chore of Duty. We'll be doing more in the future. Don't worry. It gets better. So, until (laughs) next time, I'm Spike. I'm Chris. And we will see you next time on The Chore of Duty. Bye, y'all.